Welcome to the Endo Belly Girl podcast. I'm your host, Alyssa Chavez. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner and restorative wellness practitioner on a mission to change the way that we support women with endometriosis. Endo is a full body disease that impacts your mind, body, and spirit in countless ways that aren't often addressed the way that women truly deserve. We are here to talk about all of it. Please keep in mind that the content of this show has been created for educational purposes only and should never be used as a replacement for medical diagnosis or treatment. Hello, and welcome back to the Endo Belly Girl podcast. I have a special guest on today who I am very excited about. (laughs) I feel like I say that every time I have a guest. I'm just always excited to record the podcast, if I'm perfectly honest. It's like my favorite thing to do during the week. But really, truly, I am beyond excited to have this particular guest on because I am just a personal fan of her work. She is the author of two books, which are probably the, not probably, they're definitely the books that I recommend more than any other when it comes to endometriosis. And she is just a wealth of knowledge. She has so much to share with you all today. So I'd like to welcome on Katie Edmonds, who is an endometriosis author, researcher, educator, nutritional therapist, trauma-certified HTMA practitioner, and a paleo-autoimmune protocol-certified coach. (laughs) That's a lot right there. She also is the author of two books, The Four-Week Endometriosis Diet Plan and Heal Endo, an Anti-Inflammatory Approach to Healing from Endometriosis. And those books are absolutely fabulous. I have both of them and use them frequently myself. Heal Endo is just like the guide (laughs) to actually figuring out what's going on in your body, getting to that place of being able to to heal from the inside out. I know she's going to share a lot about that with us today, just even the the basics of (laughs) what this is all about, how our diet and our lifestyle choices even impact endometriosis. She has so much information. She also has a wonderful blog. If you go on her website, healendo.com, I will share all of the links, of course, for everything in the show notes. For right now, just enjoy, dive in, and I'll let Katie take it away. All right. Hello, Katie, and welcome to the show. I am so excited to have you on here today. I know we have so much to talk about, so welcome. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I'm always excited to talk endometriosis. Nice. I know know you have a lot to say, so (laughs) that is perfect. Well, I would love if we can start out by just getting to know you a little bit. If you can tell us a little bit about your personal history with endometriosis, how that has led you to doing what you are doing today, and a little bit about what you do. Yeah. You know, I joke because I feel like everyone who has an endometriosis story could write a small novel about it. Like it could be the whole podcast. And I've gotten it pretty succinct at this point. But, you know, my endo, it started like there's a lot of women that it just came on hard and fast. I, to be honest, I was having sex and I felt um, the most intense pain I've ever had in my life. I felt an organ had ruptured. Like if it wasn't my uterus, it was an ovary or my appendix. I had no idea. But I, you know, I couldn't move for for the rest of the night. I was pretty floored, and I googled it. It couldn't be endometriosis, right? Because it wasn't my period. This was just horrible pelvic pain. I definitely had cancer, and I was probably dying. Like this is twenty three year old me on Google, and I go to the doctor, and she's wonderful. You know, she's been my GP for a while, and you know, I say I'm lucky because I live on a small island, and we honestly have terrible healthcare. But because our doctors see so many different people and are really well established in the community, I feel like we're not written off so easily. You know, as I've heard from other women, you know, around the world, they're so easily written off. But this doctor was like, no, Katie, I think you have endometriosis. Let's get you imaging and get you diagnosed. And I was like, it's not, <laughs> it's not. And it was, you know, it was, it was um, suspected endometriosis. We didn't do laparoscopy, but all the tests looked like it. It sounded like it. So I was given the same treatment that, that every woman then was and today was and probably her grandma was right. It's like birth control, um, maybe Lupron if that's not working. Uh, definitely consider hysterectomy if you're really over it. And in the meantime, try to get pregnant because you know that's like top notch priority. So I'm 23, like 
sobbing, you know, the most ugly sobs. Like, I can't believe this is my new normal. And unfortunately, it was my new normal. It was like that pain never quite went away. And in my book, I call it the unraveling by endometriosis. It's like the pharmaceuticals they gave me to address the endometriosis gave me other symptoms, which then had to be sort of whack-a-mole by another pharmaceutical, which was whack-a-mole by another pharmaceutical. So it's taking 800 milligrams ibuprofen a day, like like a multivitamin, right? I think I damaged my stomach for life. And because I was damaging my stomach so much, they gave me antacids to take every day. So now I'm like really not absorbing any nutrients. I have this huge bloated belly. I have chronic pain and I'm doing everything right. You know, everything the doctor said and my, uh, my boyfriend at the time, now my husband, he was like, why don't you look into diet and lifestyle? And I just remember being so mad. Like you are so dumb. Like, ugh, boys, like really to stop my uterus to be stuck to my bowels. Like, who are you? And then I was like, well, okay, I'll look it up. And that's when I, you know, I did do some diet and lifestyle stuff, but like a lot of people, it's like, it helped a little bit, but like not that much. Cause I was just cutting out every food I could. And then that kind of helped. So I thought, well, cut out more foods. And if, you know, it's not really helping everything. So I'll just detox, 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 detox. I didn't know what I was doing. I was just, you know, I was throwing one at the wall to see if it would stick. But at the end of eight years, I'm sicker than I've ever been. Like I now have chronic fatigue. I have terrible digestive issues. My endo pains all the time. We're trying to get pregnant. I've had two surgeries and there's no reason I shouldn't be pregnant. My fallopian tubes are open, et cetera. And I just get really mad because I felt like I'd been lied to. I didn't know why. I just felt like everything was wrong and no one was actually looking at me or taking my case seriously. It was like everything was just, oh, that's just endometriosis. That's just a symptom of endometriosis. And my very analytical brain was like, why? I don't understand why I have chronic fatigue if I have some lesions growing on my uterus. I do not understand that. So that is actually what fueled me to start researching endometriosis on PubMed, which is where I should have been in the first place. <laughs> but I was reading all the blogs, you know, and like the little endometriosis websites where they say, we don't know anything about endometriosis. All you can do is manage symptoms. So it seemed like since everyone was saying that, that was appropriate. And, you know, the first thing I learned was that endometriosis was not a hormonal disease. And here I was for the past eight, nine years of my life, trying to destroy every ounce of estrogen in my body, which I thought was overloaded with estrogen and fueling endometriosis. And I was like, my brain exploded, you know, like, wait, what? Endometriosis isn't a hormonal disease. <laughs> like, It's not, um, you know, that roller coastered into me just um, doing my practice. I actually found the diet and lifestyle factors that actually do influence the disease, the disease being um, one rooted in immune dysfunction, a multifactorial heterogeneous disease, which is so much more than a period problem or a hormonal disease is vastly complex. But when you understand the complexities, you can start to address each complexity one by one by one, which I did um, reclaim my fertility. I now have two wonderful kids. I am healthier. At, I'm almost 39. And I think back at me at 21 and like, oh, I just want to give that girl a hug, you know? So 20 years later, I'm feeling great. And uh, this is why I guess I do what I do, writing the books and the blogs and everything else. Nice. Yeah. It's so interesting. When Every time I listen to, you know, different people's stories, there's so many similarities mm -hmm. in there. And just, you know, I think that lack of awareness of what endometriosis even really is yeah. and what's going on in your body. Cause you're so right. Like the chronic fatigue, why, why in the world is that related to yeah. endometriosis lesions? And I think there's so many symptoms like that. The pain, I think we all can kind of make that connection, but many of the other symptoms, the bloating, the fatigue, you know, these weird symptoms that come up that, Oh yeah, that's really common with endometriosis. But I love yeah. that you're you are just always asking that question of why, <laughs> why, why is that happening? Why is that yeah. related? And importantly, what can I actually do about it? So mm -hmm. love that. <laughs> cool, cool. Well, I would love to start off because I know you've done a lot of research about the development of endometriosis and the factors that can contribute to the growth and development of endometriosis and what kind of what's actually true as far as we know. And I think that's going to be helpful for so many people. I would love if you can dive into that a little bit. Yeah. So it's a, it's a ton of information, right? So it's a brain dump, which is something I'm good at, but it can really overwhelm people. Uh, so, you know, if, if you're listening to this, all of this information is, is separated into chapters in the book. So you can get through like, you know, each little step individually. 
But um, when I started researching the book, I did so with some inherent myths in my mind that I think are really common. And what we see on social media is this like the dichotomy between, oh, endometriosis is caused by retrograde menstruation or you're born with it, right? This is these two things. And so endometriosis activist sites are like, it's not caused by retrograde menstruation. That is so false because so many people have retrograde menstruation and not everyone has endometriosis, which is absolutely true. Um, so their, you know, their idea of trying to blow up retrograde menstruation based on that theory is, um, is correct in certain ways, but it's also totally, um, misleading. So no one is born with endometriosis. No one to date has ever been born with endometriosis. What you can be born with is an endometriosis like cell. And these cells are not endometriosis. They are precursors. You can have a cell your whole life and it can never become endometriosis. So there's something like 10% of fetuses are seen to have endo-like cells in the cul-de-sac. So they're actually born with the cell already outside of the uterus, but um, only something like 4% develop endometriosis there. I mean, 60% of cases had the cell, but it never became endometriosis. So that's a really important thing to, to distinguish. You can have the cell and you don't you don't um, you haven't been introduced to all the inputs that have established and activated it. So the first step is getting that cell, and um, these cells are generally believed to be endometrial cells and the, the normal cells that line the inside of the uterus. That should be beacons of fertility, right? They are these beautiful, loving cells that will nourish a baby should a fertilized egg implant, and should it not, it will shed with menses and obviously go out your vagina. So with these, the endometriotic cells, they are, they can be genetically and epigenetically altered to behave radically different. And instead of beacons of fertility, they actually become very aggressive. They can become proliferative. They can grow extremely fast, highly sensitive to estrogen, up to 140 times more sensitive, which is a huge amount more receptors if you think about that. Progesterone resistance, where you have an endometrial cell should have ample progesterone docking sites. These ones don't. So it's sort of like all growth, no cooling. And the way you can kind of think of the difference uh, is when you hear someone say, oh, it's just misplaced endometrial cell is if you have liver cancer that metastasizes into your lungs, they're not saying, oh, that's a misplaced liver cell. They're saying that's liver cancer, right? It started out as a liver cell, but it's so epigenetically and genetically altered beyond belief that it's now attacking your own body and growing into healthy tissue and destroying it. That's the same thing with endometriosis. It, you know, at one point was an endometrial cell or should have been, um, but due to circumstances, it's now behaving radically different to the point we, we don't treat it like an endometrial cell. You have to treat it like endometriosis now, just like you wouldn't do a liver cleanse to get, get rid of, uh, you know, liver cancer in your lung. You know, a weird, a weird thing to, to think about, but it is like how a lot of doctors or, or people are explaining endometriosis. So this cell um, can, there's things out of our control, like our genetic inheritances. It's, you know, highly likely everyone who has endometriosis has someone else in their family above them, a family line of endometriosis. So the susceptibility is there, but just like your susceptibility for colon cancer is there doesn't mean you're going to get it. So there's all these other factors that go into it. So um, endocrine disrupting chemicals are a huge one that change a normal endometrial cell into something highly aggressive, damaging, proliferative all of those things. So we're talking about phthalates, right? That are in just about every skincare, hair care, plastic product in the world. So what are we all doing? Like drinking out of plastic, eating off of plastic, you know, it, putting on really beautiful organic skincare that even has the ingredient perfume in it. You know, perfume is usually perfume slash fragrance because of a loophole. It can be chock full of phthalates. So even a, a product that says phthalate free if it has fragrance perfume in it, can actually still have phthalates in it. So it becomes, um, I don't want to say confusing because I don't want to throw that out there. It just becomes more complicated. It takes a little bit more work to find the products that are going to be phthalate-free. Um, pesticides and herbicides. There's an enormous list. It, it, just think of chemicals and how they can cause cancer, how they're associated. Those Basically, the exact same chemicals are associated with the development of this endometriosis-like cell. So that's the first step, right, is, is that cell. Actually, the other thing I think that's important to talk about, trying not to info dump too much, is chronic inflammation leading to these endo-like cells. And a, a big reason why is because, so one of the holding sites for endo-like cells is actually 
in your uterus. So this is rarely talked about that our normal endometrial cells can be behaving a lot more like endometriosis. So we almost have endometriotic cells inside the uterus, which A, can be a huge problem for fertility. It can be one reason why we're experiencing unexplained fertility, even though our fallopian tubes are open. You know, everything's a go, you know, semen strong, everything. That's one of, that can be one of the reasons why. And in there's the inflammation factor is part of what makes cells turn really aggressive. So when you have a stem cell, which are really cool, right? Like we don't think our, our, you know, our endometrial lining actually sheds and regrows every month. It's like a, a lizard that loses its tail and regrows it. Like we, we can't do that, nor, you know, any other area of the body, but our uterus is doing it. So these still, these cells have uh, amazing regenerative properties. But when stem cells meet chronic inflammation, they kind of scream and in their terror, they turn into this other type of cell that is um, a survival mechanism for stem cells. But the survival mechanism is what allows it to blow throughout the body and establish in places far and wide and be very aggressive. So the chronic inflammation factor, either within the uterus, when we're talking about uterine infection, something like endometritis or pathogenic overgrowth of the reproductive tract, which are a really, really big factor to take into account with endometriosis, or outside of the uterus in your peritoneal cavity. And this is people who develop endometriosis after like pelvic inflammatory disease, you know, something like, um, or they have, it's just an infection of the peritoneal cavity. It's it's correlated on each side, inside the uterus and outside of the uterus. So that chronic inflammation itself, the inflammation can create an endo-like cell, which is fascinating and horrifying at the same time, right? Okay, so that's step one. One. <laughs> oh my goodness. It just shows you what a uh, rabbit hole this is to dive into, right? There's so much happening in our bodies. And it's it's so it's so interesting how I think oversimplified this all is yeah. in most of the information that's out there. So I personally I really love that you're taking a nice deep dive into this and what all is going on in your body. This Maybe one that you all want to go back and listen to more than once because <laughs> there's a lot to take in. But I, no, I love it. I think it's great because I'm a big fan of knowledge is power, right? Mm -hmm. The more that we know and understand about what's going on in our bodies, the more it empowers us to be able to do something about it and be able to, to get to a place where we feel healthier and better and we're not li living with some of these chronic symptoms that are going on. So I love totally. it. <laughs> yeah, I'm the same way. And I think it's, you know, it's one of those best ways to, to retrain any part of your body is you have to know what's going on with it, what's going wrong. And I was one of the women who would do like the 30 day things, right? Like as if 30 days would heal me. Cause I didn't know what was going on. Do you read about this? Like 30 day full body cleanse, like 30 day um, diet for full body health or whatever it was. And it's like, okay, that's going to be it. And then I'd throw myself into these things and they wouldn't work. And I would have this thing of, I'm doing everything and nothing works, but I was doing everything. I was doing a lot of things, but none of it was directed at endometriosis. So when you have a disease that you have to know what the disease is in order to address it, like if you have celiac and you're trying to do a bunch of gut health diets, but you're still being contaminated with gluten because you play with your kids Play-Doh every day, you literally are never going to get better. So you have to know what you're, what you're dealing with. And with endo, I'm just such a, that's, you know, why I came from my anger of not knowing what the disease was. And once we know we can make really big leaps in um, addressing that. Like if you have a surgery, right. And you don't want the endometriosis to come back, but you are like, I was at, as a teenager obsessed with fragrances and, um, what is that body shot? It was the body shot back when I was like, yeah, the body works is the other one. Yeah. <laughs> it scented everything. I'm spraying Febreze over my clothes before I leave the door and extra scented laundry. And I had no idea. All of those chemicals are directly associated with the endometriosis directly, right? This isn't like, oh, well, maybe they are. It's like, it's in the literature very, very clearly. So once you know those things, you can say, oh, this is why I'm moving to essential oils. You now know, and you're not going to fall back anymore. You know, it's sort of like those cheating things or like, oh, I'm going to start being good again soon. It's like, you really have to make this your lifestyle in order to beat it, especially for us dealing with it chronically, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
Now, you had mentioned a little bit earlier, I know this is something that you talk a lot about too, about how endometriosis is, there's a big component of immune dysfunction. And I, I love also, by the way, how you talk about how there, there's a, it's a multifactorial yeah. disease, right? Mm-hmm. It's not like, oh, there's one thing, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Because even just the explanation you were giving us, just that introduction to what endometriosis is and how it develops. Look at how many different things you're talking about, even with that, right? The, right. the, the phthalates in our in our fragranced things and, and toxins that we're exposed to and all of the different things that go on. But the immune system is absolutely something that's a huge piece of the puzzle. And I was wondering if you can talk a little bit about that and what that connection is. Because I know that that's something that may not occur to people right off the bat. Again, we're taught that it's a a period problem. It's a reproductive disease. Mm -hmm. So what does your immune system have to do with all that? (laughs) Right. So so if you have the precursor to endometriosis, you have this endo-like cell. Now come those theories of where, how it gets how it gets out. And this is where you hear you're born with it or retrograde menstruation. Both are very great theories to show how those endo-like cells appeared outside of the uterus. They are both very, very, very well viewed in research. They, you know, if you have an endo-like cell inside the uterus that comes out or it's, uh, it's already born outside the uterus, that's been seen both ways, but it's not endometriosis, right? So what activates that cell into an endometriosis lesion is your immune system. And this is exactly the same as cancer. This is cancer and endometriosis are so similar in this regard. So when you have a cell, an endo-like cell, it is a weird, abnormal monstrosity that your body should take care of. It takes care of these things all the time, right? Any damaged tissue, a bacteria, a virus, strange, abnormal, mutated cells, just like this one your immune system should be cleaning up and taking it out. This is why normal people grow cancer-like cells all the time, every day, and your immune system clears those things out. So with endometriosis, you have this cell and your immune system is doing a few things. One, it's not cleaning it out. It's not seeing it as a threat, which is a potent form of immune dysfunction, one form of immune dysfunction. So it's not doing things that it should, getting it out. The other thing it's doing is actually activating that cell into your tissue. It's so confused. It says, well, it looks like an endometrial cell. It's not where it should be. It's, it's you know, it's behaving very strange, but I'm still going to establish this in the tissue. And what these immune factors do, so to speak, is sow the cell into your tissue, establish blood, lymph, and nerve supply. And now you have an activated endometriosis lesion. This is when you officially have the disease. It would be microscopic at this point. No surgeon would be able to see it, but it's there, a microscopic lesion. So what we see in normal healthy women is microscopic endometriosis lesions appear and disappear on and off. So it is very possible that endometriosis, maybe it wouldn't be called endometriosis, um, but this process is a normal bodily process that happens in healthy women and has forever. These little stem cells want to make up shot. Maybe some immune system issues happen, but then your immune system actually gets rid of them once they're established. It says, oh no, that was a mistake. We're getting rid of you. So with endometriosis patient, that's not happening. Um, The the cells stay. And then again, they're aggressive. They're estrogen sensitive. They're super sensitive to inflammatory immune factors, et cetera, et cetera. You know, long, long book worth of, of options there. And what they do is they grow and progress. And um, there's different types of endometriosis based on the type of cell you have, the type of exposure that's have, the type of genetic susceptibility you have, that you can have very slow growing endometrioma that may never cause you problems. You can have, you know, a rapid fire growth of endometriosis that just moves so fast and it takes over so many of your organs and you have advanced endometriosis very quickly. There's no one way this disease works or behaves, you know, there's over 65 different types and counting. So like there's over a hundred different types of cancer. You can think of that similarly. And that's why your endometriosis will be very different than my endometriosis and also why it's different in how we treat the endometriosis. So if the doctor blanket approach doesn't work, but it actually can work for some people, right? Like some women go on birth control and they literally feel fine and they go off birth control, get pregnant, and they're like, no, it worked. Like, I don't see what the big deal is. Like, it wasn't a problem. And others like me go on birth control and have entire health collapse, right? Others may not have any symptoms, and they end up having stage four endometriosis, and they only find out because they're trying to get pregnant, and they can't, and they have 
literally no symptoms their whole life. So we did some research on that with Dr. Dan Martin and it, you know, it's cruel and it's fascinating all at the same time, just how different this disease behaves. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and I hear that all the time when I'm talking to people, just how different everyone's experience is, mm-hmm. how, how differently we react to medical treatments, how differently our, our bodies behave. And that's one thing that I've always found really fascinating about endometriosis is, is what you were just talking about, how someone can have stage four endometriosis and, and not really experience any symptoms from it and not have any idea that that's going on in their body. Mm-hmm. Whereas somebody else might have, you know, similar disease going on, but be in massive pain all the time, or might even have stage one endometriosis and be mm-hmm. have a whole lot of symptoms. So it's, it's very interesting in that regard, because we think of the, you know, the stages being, you know, this kind of end all be all uh, cate- categorization, I guess, of, yeah. of endometriosis, but really, it's very individual at the end of the day. Yeah, which is part of the, you know, that word that I say so frequently used, the confusing thing, which is why I was trying to cut through and say, no, it's just complex. Like, don't say it's confusing. Don't tell your body it's confusing. Say it's complex. Your only job as a patient, I say, is to discover what your endometriosis is. You don't need to worry like researchers to find out every different bit of endometriosis for every person. You just need to find your own triggers, your own unique you know, blueprint to how you got endometriosis, the things that went into your, your body, and then whichever factors you have under your control, because there's honestly a lot we don't have under our control, but doing the things that we can to stack the deck in our favor. Yeah, I love that. I highly recommend everyone go back and listen to that last 30 seconds or so (laughs) one more time, because I think that's the most important thing, because I hear so often people feeling just overwhelmed, and there's so much information out there, but that is an excellent little golden nugget there of just focus on what's going on in your body. You don't Mm -hmm. need to be the world-class expert on endometriosis. You just need to become the expert on your own body, which, you know, I think we have a lot of intuition on what's going on in our own bodies anyway, what things we are sensitive to, what works and what doesn't work. It's maybe just a matter of learning to listen to that and and figure out. Which is part of the problem with, um, I think with the social media not obsession, but it's like, we can find out so much about endometriosis on social media, but then it goes a little far, right? You start following every health account and they have different ways to address endo or to address health in general, often because that's what worked for them. So, um, which is not to say it's wrong. It's just what's worked for them. But then I'm sure you have this too. I have clients come to me that have tried literally a hundred different diets and they are so stressed out. And the thing that they didn't do was listen to their intuition that you said that's there, right? Because you we lose trust in our body. And it's one of the biggest, most important things we can do to heal is to actually reestablish that trust. I used to do this mantra saying, I'm sorry, I left you. I trust you. We're in this together. Because I was one of those girls that would send that uterus picture. Like meanwhile, in my uterus, and there's like this exploding bombs and stuff. And to me, my brain and my body were separate entities and my body was out to get me. I'd say that my body hates me. Like these little things. And I would just reiterate it in my head. And to the point I had lost such connection with my body. I did not have any intuition. I could not feel blood sugar issues. I could not feel the effects of alcohol. I could not feel anything. I was sort of numbed myself to it all. And once I checked back in, I started to realize like, oh, I'm actually like a little sensitive to four cups of coffee a day. I'm only just starting to realize that at the age of 30, because I've checked back in with my body. And, you know, you listen to all these, I don't want to say quote unquote experts, because there's really a lot of experts, but you, like you said, you have to be the expert yourself. I eat red meat on average about twice a day for years. And it's the number one thing I refuse to eat. I was a vegetarian for 15 years and I listened to all the health experts, you know, veganism and vegetarian was the way. And I was like, you all, you're all so dumb if you like aren't a vegetarian. It's so unhealthy. You know, I had this thing and meanwhile, my joints were falling apart. My blood sugar was out of control. So for some women eating that much meat might make them feel really poorly, but I had to get back in touch with myself and say like, wow, I need that much protein in order to balance my blood sugar. I'm of European descent. You know, my mom is from Britain. Um, And they're, you know, 
we don't do as well with high carbohydrate diets and we do well with more satiating meat-based meals. And that changed my life, but I would never have gotten there if I listened to any of the stuff online, because it's all so anti-meat, anti-animal protein is going to kill you. And I had to say, oh, actually, I like feel better than I've ever felt. My life. <laughs> it works for me. Yeah. It doesn't, you know, but if it doesn't work for someone, it's not my place to say, yes, it does. I think we all just have to allow ourselves to heal the way we need to heal. Absolutely. I 100% agree on that. I had a very similar story. I was a vegetarian for about six years because I thought that that was the healthiest thing for my body and have since really learned that I am similar where I also do much better with protein. And, you know, even when I came out of being a vegetarian, I would only eat fish and chicken for years. And it was years later before I added in uh, red meat again. And I, I immediately started to notice a difference in the way I felt. Yeah. I was very resistant to it. But for me, and again, this isn't for everybody. I, I, bodies are different and we all have unique needs, but I did have a very similar experience. I was like, oh my gosh, my body really needs this. <laughs> yes. I, you know, that's so funny. And maybe, maybe it's more profound if you're a long, long time vegetarian to start eating red meat in a way, because you, as a vegetarian, you are basically almost guaranteed to be deficient in zinc and iron, even if you're supplementing, you know, it's like they look at research across the board and vegetarians are consistently lower in those nutrients. And those are nutrients that you absolutely need to fight infl inflammation. So it's something that with, you know, the endometriosis, just having endometriosis can make you iron deficient. It's because of the inflammation. The iron is, you know, a factor that it doesn't quell inflammation like zinc, but it's a factor that's absolutely a critical nutrient in addressing the inflammation. Um, plus we're bleeding, you know, some of us bleed very heavily for a week, not just externally, but also internally. So there's, there's so much going on. And I know for me, when I started eating liver, I say, I say I had this almost profound experience, like the clouds lifted off of my chronic fatigue. There is such a nutrient dense food. I had never eaten liver before. And I was horrified with myself as a recovering vegetarian. I would do mantras again, like this is healing you. <laughs> And I'd eat like a piece oh. of chocolate cake after not even kidding. I was like, okay, but then you can have your cake. <laughs> but the, you know, it started to change my life. And that was the realization of I am so nutrient poor. Like my body can't even function because I don't have these nutrients. And so I think I'm doing fine, leaving, you know, doing this low fat vegetarian diet because it's healthy, but I am, I've, uh, you know, gotten rid of all the nutrients that I've ever had stored up. And I need not only to give my daily quota, but rebuild my stores. And that took years probably of eating really nutrient dense foods. But yeah, it's like when you have that body intuition, you can realize, right? Like, oh my gosh, this, this yeah. steak I thought would kill me is actually making me feel very strong today. And I need to realize that and be okay with that. Yeah. Actually, that's a perfect transition because I know in your book, Heal Endo, you have a lot and on your blog as well, you have a lot of information about nutrients and how that impacts endometriosis and how we feel. And you mentioned even just now how zinc impacts inflammation and how many of us are very deficient in zinc. And uh, can you talk a little bit about, I know that's a very broad topic, but just about how <laughs> nutrients do impact our bodies. Cause we all, we all hear the typical advice. Okay. You should eat your veggies and blah, blah, blah. You should take vitamins. But I think really developing that deeper understanding of how mm -hmm. nutrients really impact and influence our bodies, particularly if you have a chronic illness like endometriosis and what that looks like. Yeah. Yes, definitely a big, broad question, but I, I think there's so much amazing research on it. So something that is often said in the endometriosis community is that diet and lifestyle can only affect symptoms. And I'm going to say that's very false. Um, the reason why we don't have more literature supporting that is simply because until now we haven't been able to track what endometriosis lesions are doing in people without opening them up and doing laparoscopy. So what we have is we have a lot of animal studies showing that diet and lifestyle factors significantly um, affect endometriosis behavior in the animals, meaning it shrinks it or it grows it which if you didn't know that endometriosis shrinks and grows all the time. That's just what it does. Um, across numerous studies, we see it's actually more likely for endometriosis to stabilize or regress than it is to progress. So on average, and I actually have a blog you can link to that has all this research 
on average, it's about 30% of us with endometriosis may have it progress into worse forms of disease. Absolutely bad, right? You don't want it to progress, but we're also terrified of it progressing. What we see is there's about 30% of us end up having it stabilized, could still have symptoms, not saying the symptoms are gone, but your lesions aren't growing. There's no, there's not the scar tissue formation, et cetera. And 40% actually have the lesions regress. So this has been seen on ultrasound. Those studies were done on people and it was during repeat um, surgeries or imaging at the time. And then we see this all the time with endometriomas because you can image them very easily. We see that they shrink, they grow, they disappear, right? There's, there's all this stuff going on all the time with endometriomas. And there's all that, you know, the research showing that potent antioxidants, NAC, can actually, you know, that was like a really big support in treating endometriomas. It's one thing. So when you're online, everyone's like taking NAC. Well, it didn't work for everyone in that trial. But the big important thing is that when you lower inflammation, that's what helps uh, shrink the endometriosis. So what we want to do is we want to, I say, stack the deck in our favor to stabilize or regress the endometriosis. Again, it is different than symptoms, but the reason why you don't want it to progress is um, is the organ damage. We all want to preserve fertility. I don't care if you don't think you want babies at the age of 18, you might want them in 10 years and you deserve that. You know, it's it's something we all have the we should have the human right to have babies if we want them. So that's why you really don't want it to progress. And of course, the symptoms can be all over the place. But what progresses endometriosis, first and foremost, is inflammation. Inflammation is nothing more than your immune system attacking. And I say, what if we just call it immune system attack? Because, uh, you know, most of us are thinking inflammation is some foreign thing inside of us, and it's not. It's your immune system attacking. And the immune system attack that never ends is what makes endometriosis worse. It actually epigenetically alters it to be a worse form of disease, again, um, because of it being the stem cells and the feeding on inflammation. And two, it's the inflammation that creates scar tissue and intra-abdominal adhesion. So it's not the lesions that are creating that. The lesions aren't like reaching to each other and like holding hands. It's the inflammation. It's like a, your immune factors are fighting so hard and for so long, they scar. It's like acne scarring. Like the zits didn't scar the face. It was the amount of inflammation that swelled and destroyed the tissue that scars the, the skin for acne. The same thing with endometriosis. Now, what do you do to stop inflammation? Antioxidants is a huge one. So if you have, you know, and let's just call it an inflammation, an immune factor that's causing inflammation, the way to stop that is to insert an antioxidant. It will grab the inflammatory immune factor, the free radical, and dispose of it, so to speak. So if you're a normal person, let's say you have 100, 100 pieces of inflammation. I'm just going to throw it out there like it's coins in your body. You have 100 pieces of inflammation. You're going to need 100 antioxidants. If you have endometriosis, you might have 200,000 pieces of inflammation at any given moment, especially if you have active endometriosis, you might need 200,000 antioxidants around the clock, right? So this is when you show research, like, um, you know, to prevent scurvy, you need something like 60 milligrams of vitamin C a day. What they did is they gave women with endometriosis a thousand milligrams of vitamin C a day. And they gave them 64 times more vitamin E than, is, than they need just to survive. And suddenly after three months, their pain plummeted because they were having these huge amounts of antioxidants, right? Just kind of cooling down the whole system. You know, in the book, I talk about every different kind of antioxidant around like phytonutrients are um, less talked about antioxidants. And they're basically are all of the antioxidants in fruits and vegetables that give them their pigment. You know, that's why blueberries have a specific antioxidant in them different than a cucumber has a different antioxidant in them. So by eating the rainbow, it's such a simple thing to say. And you might say, well, that has nothing to do with endometriosis, but it does, right? It's like a little simple fact. You can say, this is actually helping my endometriosis. And therefore I'm going to stick with it because I know I have a lot of inflammation, in every fruit and vegetable, especially if it's local, you get more if it's organic and local, freshly picked. That doesn't mean if you don't have access to those foods, um, it's not going to work. Just if you can prioritize it in that order, awesome. Because the more freshly picked, the more potent the antioxidant. And what you're doing is you're quelling all that inflammation. You want to stack the deck in your favor to prevent progression. Calm it all down, you know, especially if you need a surgery and you can't afford one right now. This is why I kind of hate people who say that it 
it doesn't, it only makes a difference in symptoms because we could be preventing endometriosis progression in a great number of people by saying, eat a high antioxidant rich diet and consider supplementation if it's the correct type until you can get to that surgery. Because if you can't afford a, you know, 50,000 surgery, dollar surgery, you know, for three years, what do you do in the meantime? Just sit and suffer and know that, you know, there has to be this better way. And that's why antioxidants are so key. One of the, you know, the biggest factors. Now, the other factor for nutrients besides antioxidants, well, there's a number of factors. Blood sugar is a huge one and I suffered from it. I know, I just know you as a vegetarian suffered from it. (laughs) Oh, vegetarians. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, man, it was so god awful, right? I had a woman who just read my book and she's, she reached out to say thank you. She says the first time she hasn't been hungry in her whole life because she didn't realize she just needed to up her protein. And I was there, I don't know. It was always a thing of like, I'm always hungry. So therefore I need to manage how much I eat because I could eat all the time. So this, the blood sugar thing, you know, it's probably too much to go into right now, but when you have a blood sugar spike and a crash at the spike and the crash, both of those moments are uh, there. They physiologically change your body. There's all these adaptations in your body. Your body does not want to have a lot of glucose and insulin. So the way it reacts, um, there's this chain reaction it actually produces a ton of free radicals inside your peritoneal cavity. Okay, those free radicals are what you don't want. Um, and then at the crash, it releases all the stress hormones, which actually promote endometriosis development, establishment, and progression. So if you have a blood sugar spike and crash every once in a while, because you're at your six-year-old birthday party and ate way too much cake like me two weeks ago, like that's okay. But if you're doing it every day, breakfast, snack, lunch, coffee break, dinner, dessert, all throughout the day, say you have diabetes, pre-diabetes, insulin resistance, those are all now clinical forms of blood sugar dysregulation. You're going to need to address that. And addressing that factor, for some, I've actually found that to be a silver bullet, specifically with fertility. So I had some challenging clients or they had challenges before they started working with me and got pregnant immediately from blood sugar control. I haven't had that much success, that like quick of success with like a nutrient dense diet, you know, something where you build up stores and eventually you get there. So for these women, it actually was their thing, the crux of their issue that was holding them back. And it's why I say that blood sugar should be a non-negotiable, which again, has a pretty simple formula, right? You know, sort of like eating the rainbow for antioxidants and fat, protein, fiber, prioritize those and get yourself into a balance. You have to, again, start listening to your body to see what your body needs more or less of and a lot less starchy carbs, you know, still without avoiding them and doing the whole keto thing. It doesn't need to be like that, but um, you should be able to eat a meal and make it four hours without being really hungry. That's why I say, you know, that you're really doing it right. Yeah. Yeah, totally agree. I, Definitely did have a lot of history with with blood sugar imbalance. And it's such an interesting thing, too, because I know when I first started learning about blood sugar and how important it is and how it even works in the first place, I honestly, I thought hangry was just a trait that I was born (laughs) with. That's my personality. (laughs) That's just just me. Like when my, my now husband and I first started dating... He just knew like that was probably one of the first things he learned about me was like, I better feed her or she's going to be very angry, very fast. <laughs> and that was just my life. I was still vegetarian at the time, but also I think I just didn't have an understanding of protein and fat and why we need that stuff. And I was definitely eating a very carb heavy diet and Yeah, it was a lot of up and down. And I know that that's common for so many people. I actually recently did, uh, at the time that we're recording this, this episode came out yesterday, although by the time this is released, it will have been a few weeks ago. Uh, I did a full episode just on blood sugar. So I can link to that in the show notes as well, if anyone wants to, to hear more about that and how all of that works. I know you have a lot of information about that as well in your book and on your blog. So between all of those resources, yeah. you will have everything you need to know about, or maybe not everything, but a lot of things you need to know about blood sugar. <laughs> yeah. And it's weird because it's one of those things you hear about so much, especially with diabetes being so rampant. And you just kind of always think it's eating too much sugar. You know, I always thought that I'm like, well, I wasn't eating a lot of sugar, Uh, you know, not in the traditional sense. Like I wasn't drinking a lot of 
soda and eating cookies, but like, I still, I had no idea what, um, the balance part was, you know, and that's where it's another one of those annoying things for people that want to be told exactly what to do to take a step back and say, okay, like first I just have to learn about it. I will sit down and I will learn what blood sugar is. I will listen to Alyssa's podcast. Like I will just figure it out. And then it will, once you figure it out, right? Like, cause of the school modules, you're like, oh, I get it. And then it, it makes sense the rest of your life. But until you understand that you can't necessarily make the gains or at least for me. Yeah, totally agree. <laughs> love it, love it. Yeah, there's so much to dive into with all of this, but I think we have a good uh, foundation at least to start with here. Now, there are so many topics I feel like we could dive into. Maybe we'll have to come back and <laughs> dive into some more stuff in a future episode. But is there anything else that you feel like you really want to share with our audience, my audience, our audience today, uh, before we finish our, our interview here. Well, I will say, you, you know, diet changed my life so much. And I, it was, it was the start, I'd say it laid the foundation for my healing. And some women have great responses to diet alone. But healing from endo for me was a lot more than diet. And I see that overlooked by a lot of people who reach out to me <clears throat> on my blog or on Instagram say, you know, the thing I've cut out all these foods or it's always so food focused. Like, what do I need to do now for food? And sometimes we're doing just fine on food or good enough. There's not really going to be this perfect thing. And what I say to these people now and what I wish I could say to myself a long time ago was... Uh, like letting some of it go that, that need to control everything and let your nervous system start to recalibrate in a certain way. And, you know, there's so much association between endometriosis and the nervous system and thinking that everything is a threat. And even when we think food is healing us, but we get so controlling of food in that way, like food has to heal me. I'm, you know, if this is the way it is more restrictive diet, more this, more that, food actually becomes a threat without realizing it. You know, that is what orthorexia is. It's, um, it's an unhealthy obsession with being healthy, but because we've felt such, you know, some really great benefits from diet, it would make sense that someone would say, well, that is my, that is my golden egg. And if I can just figure out all the little secrets, this diet and nutrition stuff is hiding from me, then I'll feel better. So there's sleep, right? Like I only recently realized I was sleeping poorly because I got a whoop, which tracks your stress levels. And it told me I'm sleeping awful at night and my kids are sleeping through the night. And I was like, well, what's up? Well, I figured it out. It was screens. I'm on a screen for 30 to 45 minutes before bed. Yes. as like a nutrition professional, but I never have trouble going to sleep. I don't feel like I wake up with insomnia, but my little annoying bracelets telling me that I'm tossing and turning all night and I'm barely going into deep sleep. I barely have dreams. So I turn off the screens and suddenly I'm sleeping through the night. I have so much REM sleep and immediately I feel my blood sugar balance more like my desire to snack. And I'm like, just don't do it. It's just because you're home all day around snacks that you want to. But suddenly it's like, no, I don't need that. And I don't need that extra coffee. And I have so much energy to like go exercise right now. It was before it was like a slog, but I kept blaming it on something else. It was like, because I'm a tired mom of two young kids, you know? But like, okay, sleep is really important. So what if, you know, you're focusing so much on diet, but you really like leave it alone, focus on sleep, see where that gets you. Like, how's your movement and exercise? I have so much information on my site about um, core dysfunction and how core dysfunction is a direct contributor to like endo belly. So everyone who's obsessed with food about this bloating belly. And I'm like, does your stomach poof out when you cough, right? That means you have core dysfunction. And all that pressure actually damages the tissue and makes you very bloated. So you actually need to do breathing exercises and to lift those organs back out of your belly. So it's just, I guess, a recommendation to say, if you are following, you know, these channels, um, both of our channels for nutrition, I would say nutrition is like one little piece of many that will get you where you need to go. And just to like relax a little bit into your body and, and kind of ask her, you know, partner with her rather than demanding she healed. Cause this is what I did. I really did a lot of control and you know a recovering perfectionist and um just keep moving keep moving through the different modalities and see how far you can get when you add in some other things as well yeah i love that that is the most wonderful advice i've heard all year for sure <laughs> it's the start yeah. of the year you got 11 months left <laughs> well you know <laughs> but i do i love that i resonate so much with that it's 
something that I say a lot is just, it's never just one thing, Mm -hmm. right? We all want it to be simple. Like if I eat this one food or if I don't eat this one food, that all will be well. Or if I just have the perfect diet, that everything will be well. But there's just, there's so many factors at play. And Mm -hmm. I love your, the way you were talking to you about just maybe shift your focus, right? If, especially if you find that diet is really stressing you out and you're constantly worried about what you're eating, just put that aside for the moment and focus on something else and see where that gets you. And then the more that you do that and the more that you kind of play around with that stuff, the more that you do get to get to know your body and what it needs and what things do work really well for you. And that can, again, be very empowering. Totally. Yeah, exactly. Love it. Well, I think that is a perfect note to end on there. I really highly recommend that you go back and give this episode a second listen at some point in time because there are just so many wonderful nuggets in here. But Katie, thank you so, so much for being here with us today. I would love if you can share a little bit about where people can find you, connect with you, learn more about you. Yeah. Um, or take all of your resources. <laughs> I have a very big website, healendo.com you know, free tons of blogs. I think there's over 200 blogs on endo. My book, if you haven't read it, Heal Endo, that's available on Amazon. And I think Instagram, I'm heal.endo. I should know that. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I will link to all of that in the show notes as well. Uh And yeah, if you have not read Heal Endo yet, I highly recommend it. It's a fantastic book. I bought it as soon as it came out and recommend it to people all the time. So definitely check that one out. And yeah, thank you so much, Katie, for being here today. It was wonderful having you. Oh, thanks so much. I love talking. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you loved what you heard, be sure to leave a review, share with a friend, and subscribe so you can keep coming back for more. If you are ready to take the next step toward getting to the root of your endo symptoms like endo belly, pain, fatigue, and so much more, you need to take my Endo Reset free course. You can find the link in the show notes or at www.endobellygirl.com. Till next time, my friend.